we now as the church form a new temple. Mm. We are now the locus of God. We are where God dwells. God dwells with and in and among us. Mm. And so that's really good news for somebody in exile who's like, I can't get to the temple because it doesn't exist. And Jesus says, no, but I will build my temple among you. Mm. I'm with you. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us as we continue through Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 8 and chapter 9. Seth, how you feeling? We got we got more visions coming. <laughs> so many more visions. So many more visions. I felt like at the end of 7, I was I was good. I had a lot of visions, and I was, I was good, <laughs> and I was happy. I was like, I could handle the rest of the visions. And then I started reading the rest of the visions and studying them. I'm like, it's so heavy. It's so heavy. There's so much, but... I am excited to talk about apocalyptic literature yeah. again because um, we've learned more about apocalyptic literature since the last time we were yeah. on air. <laughs> we we're like, we should talk about more about we that. Just keep digging. Yeah. So I, I think one question I had yeah. was, um, is apocalyptic literature unique to the Bible? Was it um, a genre that was known and at least or prevalent in some way among other contemporary cultures or was this just something the hebrews did you know and how yeah. do they overlap how are they different i, w- I had questions like yeah that. and i think you asked something similar to that at the beginning of the last episode right. but the short answer is yes mm-hmm. the bible is not the only people producing apocalyptic literature right during the time that daniel would have been written the mesopotamians have their own apocalyptic genres the canaanites have their own mm-hmm. apocalyptic genres it was a common way to talk about the power of the gods in the world of men. Like that was a common theme Mm -hmm. that that happened. And what we've already talked about are common themes throughout all ancient near Eastern apocalyptic genre. The idea Mm -hmm. of like deep spiritual combat happening in the heavens, the idea of prophecies or dreams and visions being had by the like representative humans Mm -hmm. on the earth. The idea of like repetitions and things like, Things ha- happening over and over Things happening again. over and over again. All that is really common in the world of Daniel. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was most fascinating was a quote that you pulled out, mm. was that the purpose of apocalyptic literature is to prove the supremacy of one God over all the other gods mm-hmm. in the pantheon. Yeah. And that's the purpose of apocalyptic literature. If you're an right. Akkadian, you open up your Akkadian apocalyptic literature to see how the Akkadian God is supreme over all the other gods. Right. That's why you read apocalyptic literature. Yes. And I think that's really helpful to say, like, what's on the line? What What are you expecting when you open up that genre of apocalypse? You're opening up to see which God in the pantheon of gods is the strongest. So it's like we, we, we don't probably consciously do this whenever we... Uh, open up a genre of a movie or a book, but if you open up the genre of mystery, you're uh-huh. expecting to be titillated. Yes, you're expecting to not know 
right. everything, but if you piece together the clues enough, mm-hmm. you can figure out the ending. Right. If you open up a fairy tale, you're like, man, everything gets dark, but I know there will be a, and they lived happily ever after. Yeah. If they don't, it's not fairy tale. So how, how do we get from darkness to happily ever after? That's on the line here. If you open up a book of history, you're expecting a series of chronological events that are told as factually as possible in order to accurately represent what has occurred in the past. Yes. There's expectation. Whenever you open up the genre of apocalypse, you are expecting to see in the grand scheme of history and the combative worlds of different world philosophies and national theologies, whose God is best? Which religion wins? Whose territorial God is really God of gods and king of kings? Yes. That's what's on the line. That's exactly what's on the line. And remember, you just said it there, but like every nation assumed and took it for granted that their nation was headed up by a god or a spiritual being right and they could attribute the success of their nation to their god Mm -hmm. so when you open up an apocalyptic literature you're also kind of reading like propaganda for your nation that's right this is like oh this is the national myth of why we're the best yeah this is why babylon always wins right our gods are the best gods right yeah and i think the other thing that we pulled out from an, uh, an article we were reading on the history of apocalyptic literature is this idea that it is communicating theology, philosophy, mm-hmm. and history. Yeah. And it's doing it in a really unique way. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think today, if you were going to explore those topics, you would expect a treatise or an essay mm-hmm. that made arguments and listed the reasons to back up those arguments of why yeah. that theology or world philosophy is the way it should be. Yeah. And it would pull on history to pull, prove its arguments. Yeah. If you, yeah, yeah. But, like, but this is like, no, no, no. Let me tell you a story. A cosmic story. I mean, it kind of makes me think of... Have you watched that new movie, Don't Look Up? Oh, with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, it's no, about like global warming or oh, whatever. Okay. It's an apocalyptic movie. Uh-huh. The world's about to end because of an asteroid uh, that's okay. coming to Earth. And it's a metaphor for global warming. So like Got you're it. in this world of symbols and things like that. And what's interesting about modern apocalyptic mm-hmm. genre, we don't believe in the gods. So it's <laughs> right, not about yeah. the supremacy of the gods. It's really about one of two things. The supremacy of the human will. To be able to overcome and escape the coming right. trouble. Or the primacy of Mother Nature. Like, uh-huh. Mother Nature wins. Yeah, and bi- biology wins. And we can, we're going to have to be consumed by it. And right. And can so, we exist in the wild? Right. And that's, like, and that's the strip, point. Strip back down to our nithandrial yes. core. And, like, the way that uh, Don't Look Up uh, ends... Mm. Spoiler alert for anybody who's... <laughs> spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> ...is, like... The meteor comes and everyone dies. Oh, wow. Why? Mother Nature Mother Nature wins. There's nothing more powerful than the world. Right. So, so we better shape up. Yes. That's uh, that's the purpose. Like yeah. the, So what's interesting then is like, okay, so we have our own versions of myths. Respect the world. Mm-hmm. Valorize human ingenuity and mm-hmm. the will and personal will. We have our own apocalyptic myth that teach us certain things right ancient near eastern apocalypse did the same thing right and let's also be clear it's not it's not weird for us that stories prove points right i mean think about every disney movie ever made yeah it's that if you want to live your best life you need to follow your heart self-actualize and buck the um, the like stereotypes. Leave the island. Right. Leave the castle. Yeah. Leave wherever you are. Because there are there are stereotypes that are going to hold you down and keep you away from your true self. And it's only by venturing out, branching out on your own, being true to yourself, that you will be happy. Defeat the monsters. Right, and defeat the monsters. Right. Yeah. So, anyway, this is what's happening. This is, is what's happening. They're telling history. Mm-hmm. They're explaining their their national theology. 
They are describing the philosophy of the way they think the world works. They're trying to make better citizens. Mm-hmm. They're tra- and they're trying to form their citizens mm-hmm. through this all by telling a cosmic story. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening in Daniel. What's interesting is biblical apocalypses uh-huh. obviously are pulling on all that same kind of vocabulary, similar images. So what do we have in Daniel? We have combat motifs. We had the horror of human evil blown up on mm-hmm. cosmic scales, right? You have yep. the horror of the state depicted as monsters. Mm-hmm. You have dreams and visions. You have a cosmic spiritual war behind the war. Like you have all the same elements. Right. What's interesting about biblical apocalypses is they add a couple elements that are kind of unique because mm-hmm. God, God is above all the other gods. Right. And we're not trying to make propaganda for the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. We're trying to form the community of God in exile who has no state. Right. Right? Yeah. So there's a couple things that are unique to the apocalypses in general, but particularly Daniel. We have in biblical apocalypse the announcement of a specific time of deliverance. Mm. So we don't have that in modern apocalypse. There's no, you know, like no but like or right. even an ancient apocalypse. No, and there's a big and there's another big difference is typically in in other contemporary apocalypses um, of Mesopotamia or the Canaanites, you would get the prophecies after the history. So you would be looking back at what happened and explain what happens. So say there was a war, yeah, yeah, right, and the Babylonians ride out against the Syrophoenicians or you yeah, know yeah. some other random empire that I'm probably being achronological yeah. about. But uh, they ride out against them, they win. And then someone writes an apocalypse and they they show that the beast of Babylon rose up out of the sea and there was this other beast that was the enemy they were fighting, but the, their god Baal was on mm-hmm. their side and so they crushed the other beast. And they're retelling yeah. the story of the battle through apocalyptic language. Yeah. What's unique about biblical prophecy is the mm-hmm. prophecy occurs before the history. Mm-hmm. So you don't have history being retold as mm-hmm. apocalyptic. You have apocalyptic literature telling you what's going to happen in history. Yes. It's very different. It is different. Although I will say there are some good conservative scholars who mm-hmm. believe that about the book of Daniel. Right. But the point remains yeah. the fact that there's a, a specific time of deliverance in the future. Mm-hmm. It's a unique feature of biblical uh, mm-hmm. apocalyptic literature. And well, the way you'll notice that as we get into chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10 and 12 is all the crazy numbers. Oh. The numbers that everyone wonders. 2,300, 70 weeks. Uh, 1290, like the 762 and one. Yeah, yeah. The time times and half a time. What are all those at bottoms? The naming, the announcement of a specific time of deliverance. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that. Okay. We also have within, um, the biblical apocalypse, like repentance leading to deliverance. Mm. And so we're going to talk about probably these two most in this podcast episode, the idea of the announcement of a specific time of deliverance right. and repentance leading to deliverance. These are like, major themes what do you do when you're ruled by the monsters mm. what, what do you do in a biblical apocalypse you wait for the appointed time and hope and repent for the day of deliverance to come faster mm-hmm. like that's like the hope of biblical yeah. apocalypse okay that's all really helpful yeah. i feel like we have to give these primers because it's it's, an, it's, it's a lot of hard work it's a different to, world yeah to get your head in a different world yeah um because i think it's really important to say these images and this type of literature we're going to want to assume it's weird mm-hmm. or it's intentionally vague or it's trying to obfuscate on mm-hmm. purpose. Yeah. It's not to the original readers. Mm-hmm. It's pretty clear what's going on. Yeah. Cause they're not, they're not weirded out by it. 
because this is just this is like reading a fairy tale. Yeah. Because like you, you, somebody who never read a fairy tale, they drop in and there's fairies and dragons and they'd be like, uh, what, what is this? And we're used to it. Right. We normalize those things. Yes. And so we're able to see through them to what the story that's actually going on. Oh, yes. this is a story of self-actualization. Right. right? You it's read, a coming of age story. Right. This is, yeah, yeah. This and they're is. able to look past goats and monsters and chaotic waters to the story. Right. And the point. So I think it's always helpful to remind yes. yourself of. But it's also good to name that Daniel is confused by the apocalypse he receives. Always helpful to remind ourselves of this. It's like, so these ideas are common ideas, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily entirely clear no. what's being communicated, mm-hmm. especially because, and I'm convinced that this is prophecy before the fact, right. like Daniel's being given information before it actually happens. Mm-hmm. So he's given a glimpse of the future and he has no idea what a ram or a goat are meant to symbolize in the future. And he has to have an interpreter come tell him. Right. Mm-hmm. So like it's like common of an idea. It's like it's a common idea, but it's not necessarily clear. Right. So I just wanted to yep. make that The fun. genre is common, but the message is still a little unclear. Yes. And so the interpreter is needed. Let's zoom out then. Okay. Yep. Why mm. is God good? To give us apocalyptic literature. Yes. Because he, he could have written a better a history, a clearer history for us. Sure. <laughs> you know, he could have done many, yes. many things. Yes. Why is it God good to give us apocalypses? I have two or maybe three ideas. Okay. <laughs> One is I think it shows his kind condescension, mm-hmm. meaning that God is not afraid to speak our language. He's not afraid yeah. or above telling stories the way we tell stories. Like, I think if God did it today, maybe he would subvert the, the Disney movie. Yeah. You know? like Right. And he's not afraid to do that. He's People loved this, this genre. Yeah. Like, it was like early theater. You know, yeah. you would go and you would hear these epic tales cast in the cosmos. And yeah. you would sit at the edge of your seat listening to the stories about the beast rising out of the sea. And God's like, I can tell a story that way. Mm-hmm. And, and so this leads to my second point. Because I want you to be enthralled by it. Because God's not just about telling us facts. That's not what the point of Daniel, like the point of Daniel is not so he can know what the next 400 years is going to look like. That's not the point. No. If it was, he'd be like, hey, here's the deal. Right. The point is that he would have hope Mm -hmm. that he would know who is God of gods. And the best way to move the heart and to inflame Mm -hmm. the desires and to awaken hope Mm -hmm. is not to be like, okay, so here's the deal. 400 years is going to really stink, but eventually I'm going to save you. It's to show you in glorious narrative, the power of the mm-hmm. Ancient of Days and the right. the, the brazenness of the yeah. Son of Man and how all the beasts will fall. Like, that's a story that will awaken hope mm-hmm. and wonder in your heart. And I think God wants yeah. to do those things. He wants yeah. our hearts, not just our minds. It makes me think of, like, Jesus as an apocalypse in and of himself. Yes. He writes himself into hu- the human story. That's right. Like, he is God. And he condescends to humanity. He writes himself into human narrative and mm-hmm. human history. And then he does battle on the terms of real life. It's kind of like, it's almost like an anti-apocalypse. He like, it's no longer cosmic. Right. It's no longer up in the stars in the sky. There's no more beasts. No, it's a manger and it's a stable mm. and there's blood and there's wine. Right. And there's bread. Yeah. It's an anti-apocalypse. Yeah. But Jesus comes condescending to us to do what? To do everything he's talked about up mm-hmm. in the heavens, to seat us at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, right. to like 
bring about the kingdom of God yeah. here. Here. Yeah, in flesh and blood. In the ultimate condescension. Yeah. Not that he would write himself into a genre, but actually write himself into humanity. Yeah. Yeah. It, humanity uh, is a genre for God. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It, but it is also interesting to think about Jesus as the ultimate apocalypse, where it's like he... Um, I mean, like the, the spirit of God hovered over Mary, you know, like yeah. in this new act of primordial creation. Yeah. And, you know, he has this, this, he rose up, he came up out of Egypt and traveled to Nazareth and, or even like the way the Ephesians describes us apart from Jesus, we were mm. ruled by the prince of the power of the air. Mm-hmm children of wrath like the rest of mankind but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins seated us at the right hand right places like that's an apocalypse that's an apocalypse right that's an apocalypse in three verses (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's really fun to think about i really Um, like that but i do think it's good news that god's not afraid to speak our language to tell us stories that will enthrall us and to like write himself into our story I think those are all really good reasons why apocalypse as a genre is good news. <laughs> That's really cool. Okay, so let's actually talk about Daniel chapter 8. We're going to attempt to get to two, through two visions today. Okay. The vision of the ram and the goat mm-hmm. that Daniel has in the third year of King Belshazzar. And then in the first year of Darius's rule, he has a vision of 70 weeks. What is the vision of the ram and the goat all about? Get us into this first vision. Yeah. So he sees this vision and there's what? There's this ram on a on like a stream near a stream right yeah verse three i raised my eyes and saw and behold a ram standing on the bank of a canal okay it had two horns both horns were high but one was higher than the other and the higher one came up last (laughs) okay more off details but then i saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward and no beast could stand before so he so you have a ram with two horns Mm -hmm. one came up a little later one's taller than the other so you probably have like Two kingdoms, one bigger than the other, one that comes first, one that comes second. Two kings, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. And they have ultimate dominion. They're running north, south, east, and west. No one can stop them. Mm -hmm. But maybe they're hedged in by a boundary marker, like a canal or something. Okay. So, like, okay. I'm just, this is just me trying to get more comfy in the Right, right. What we have, we know that throughout the narrative, nations are described as animals and beasts. Okay. So, okay. We're probably talking political reality. But then the greatest (laughs) development happens. A unigoat. A unigoat. <laughs> pops up out of nowhere. Behold, a, a male goat from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. A floating. Oh, a floating unigoat. A floating So unigoat. it is a unigoat because unicorns can fly. Unicorns can fly. Unigoats can fly. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. <laughs> I like that it's conspicuous. Conspicuous horn. Um, and then he came to the ram with, so again, another empire. Yep. So this a new singular, empire, a sing, singular empire, singular. another beast comes with one horn unified in the middle of its head, floats over, and Unigoat stabs. Ran at him in powerful wrath. <laughs> and I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram. So yeah. stabs the ram, breaking his two horns. Oh, so stabs his horns or something. Yeah. And the ram had no power to stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. And then the goat becomes exceedingly great, but when he was strong... 
His horn's broken, and instead of it, there came up four more horns. He's a quadricorn. Quadricorn. <laughs> and out of one of the horns came a little horn. So imagine four horns mm-hmm. and then another horn growing out of another horn? Like uh, a st- yeah. antler? Like a stag? Oh, like maybe. A, um, and it grew towards the south and towards the east and towards the glorious land. And it grew great, even to the host of heaven. Mm. So interesting, just to pull back on all this language we've been talking about. Nations are embodied as animals, floating animals, unigoat animals. Horns are representations of leaders, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And they can go up to the host of heaven. They're also spiritual beings, mm-hmm. almost. Or they're trying to ascend to the place of God. And they have certain jurisdictions that's growing to the east and the west and toward the Holy Land. And okay, and, Yeah, and this... Uh, and some of the host, and some of the th- stars, it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. Oh, so maybe it's deposing kingdoms. Yeah. Because the stars would have been in the, the pantheon of the gods. And so perhaps this is saying that mm-hmm. there were princes, you know, yeah. like, you know, fallen angels or something right. over these other territories, and they're conquering them. Yeah. They're deposing kingdoms. There is also, like, a lot of ancient literature that thinks that stars are spiritual beings right yeah right That's so i'm getting so, that so yeah. the idea is like this political leader is so strong he can ascend to the gods mm-hmm. and cast them down which is maybe why his horns grows to the hosts of heaven yeah he and he becomes great even as great as the prince of the hosts oh who's that mm. we, we don't know <laughs> but yeah. but you should we should flag that throughout this last next section princes are often spiritual powers so yes the, the prince mm-hmm. of the spiritual powers and during his reign, so we get all this cosmic language, verse 11, and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. Mm. Weird. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offerings because of transgression. It will be thrown, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper, and then a holy one will start speaking. How long is this going to take? How long will the regular burnt offerings no longer be given? Mm-hmm. And the being said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings. And then the sanctuary will be restored to its rightful state. And that's the vision. And that's the vision. Yeah. So interesting. You have this two warring empires, it mm-hmm. seems. One of those warring empires stops the worship of the temple in Jerusalem. Right. But then after a time, worship is restored in Jerusalem. After 2,300 evenings. After 2,300 mornings and evenings. Mornings and evenings, right. Um, and what's interesting about that vision, even that detail, is if this is the, the temple in Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed currently. Right. So if Daniel's seeing this vision, he would probably be confused because, wait a second, the temple's destroyed, but he's seeing another temple mm-hmm. or hearing of another temple being destroyed, sacrifices stopping, and then it being built again. Right. Odd. Odd. Odd language. Okay, so here is the interpretation. The angel Gabriel shows up. Oh, boy. And uh, another angel tells Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And so he comes near to Daniel, and Daniel's frightened by Gabriel, I guess as you would be. Yeah. And then he says this, which is also really interesting. Understand, O son of man, that the vision that you just saw is for the time of the end. Mm. So let's pause here for a second. Okay. Because what I want to say, or mm-hmm. what I would assume he's talking about, is the end of time. Right. Based on just like, oh, I've never heard of the ram or the goat before. Oh, the stars are going to come out of the heavens. The right. temple will stop offering sacrifices. Man, that seems like the end of the world to this me. Is, this is Armageddon. This is Armageddon. This is the time of the end. Right. Right? No. 
why <laughs> not in the way that we would conceive of that today yeah because when we think the end of time as christians at least we think of jesus's second coming when you know he'll separate people into heaven and hell and the the eternal reign of god right. comes to earth yeah uh, that's that, what i think of when i yeah, think of the end of time that's not the end of time that daniel and this vision have in mind because verse 19 i'm gonna make known to you the dream and it refers to the appointed time of the end He's, he repeats himself mm-hmm. verse 20 as for the ram you saw with two horns these are the kings of media and persia right w- wait a second hold on media and persia happened a long, long time, time ago, ago and time is still ticking <laughs> so it says the ram with two horns the double pronged king uh-huh. of media and persia yep one and, horns media one he one horns persia and the goat is the king of greece right the vision ends with greece but correct me if I'm wrong, but we we still we're not we're, in the matrix, right? Like our human history has continued. I think my after cl- Greece, my, my my watch is still ticking. <laughs> okay, even though the Grecian Empire ended centuries ago, right, a, a, millennia ago. So all we're trying to say here is that when the end of time is defined for us mm-hmm. in this passage by the coming of the kingdom of Greece, yes. Which why would the biblical authors begin to think about the coming of the kingdom of Greece? as the end of the world or the end of time right it's because of what that kingdom does what that little horn does Mm -hmm. at the end of the vision he just he destroys the or halts the sacrifices of the temple he puts Mm -hmm. the function of the jerusalem temple to a halt which in the jewish imagination the temple is the center of the world in Mm -hmm. fact the temple is the cosmos the universe in miniature it is heaven on earth. It is the world within the world. And so for the function, the, for that world to stop spinning, right? for that universe to stop functioning, is akin to the end of time. So would people... The end of the world. So, I mean, as I said already, the temple is already destroyed. Right. So apparently it'll be rebuilt. And it'll be destroyed again. And when it's rebuilt and destroyed again, that's the end of the world. Right. So was the first destruction of the temple described like the end of time? Uh, yes, but not by the Daniel's visions. Okay. But in the major prophets and in some of the minor prophets, um, whenever they were predicting the coming of the Babylonian Empire, which started the book of Daniel, which we pick up the very beginning of the book of Daniel, where the temple is destroyed and its vessels are cleaned Mm -hmm. out. Uh, Whenever you read certain passages in Isaiah and in some of the minor prophets, you have this language of like the sun turning to, to, to the blacking out and the moon turning to blood and stars falling from the heavens. You have this end of the world language. And that's because, yes, the even the, the prophets at the time saw uh, the destruction of Israel's temple and the taking of Israel's people into exile as the end of the world. The, hmm. the world was ending because the, the place where God dwelt and the mechanism of dwelling with him, i.e. the temple, yeah. was all brought to a halt. That's hmm. the end of the world. Okay. So maybe before we jump into more of that, this sounds an awful lot like the vision at the end of Daniel 9 as well. That's right. So we're going to come back to Daniel 9, but at the very end of Daniel 9 is this prophecy about 70 weeks being decreed. Mm-hmm. And... During the 70 weeks, it's actually talks about what the first vision doesn't talk about. Know, therefore, that from the going out of the world, the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there will be seven weeks. So, oh, that's interesting. 
that plot that was left out of the first vision is now here. There's a restoration uh-huh. of the temple. And then for 62 weeks, it'll be built again, but in a troubled time. And then after that time, there'll be a prince of the prince who is to come and destroy right. the temple again. Which is what the little horn does that we already read about in Greece. And, it, and it, its end shall come with a flood. And to that end, there shall be war and desolations are decreed. Mm-hmm. And he w- and he's called a desolator right. later. Again. Yeah. Um, and then later on in the prophecies in Daniel 11 and 12, there's an abomination that causes desolation inside the temple. Mm-hmm. So just make sure I'm tracking here. It sounds like Daniel's being given vision after vision of the same thing happening. Yes, which is classic apocalyptic literature. Yeah. It just tells the same story over and over and over again. So if Babylon's myth was going to tell mm-hmm. the story of a battle that happened on the fields of Persia, they're going to talk about it like a beast coming out of the sea and crushing another beast. Then they're going to tell the story of the same battle as a goat and another ram going at yeah. it. And they're going to tell another story of an eagle flying out of the sky and swooping down on its prey. Mm-hmm. But they're all repeating the story of the same battle. Interesting. And so that's classic apocalyptic literature to take one event and stack meanings and images on top of it in order to communicate a full panoramic of the picture. Okay. So what seems to be happening here is that Daniel is legitimately being given a glimpse into the future. Yeah, right. We're told that Persia, uh, Persia and Media, mm-hmm. a dual empire is going to come, right. followed by Greece. Yep. Now, in the 70 weeks, we don't have um, names given, mm-hmm. but we do have this edict of Jerusalem being restored. Right. And we know from history... Even biblical history. Even biblical history, that that happened during the reign of King Cyrus. Mm-hmm. And he put... King Darius mm-hmm. on the throne in Babylon. Right. The Darius we meet in Daniel. The Darius we meet in Daniel. That's so right. what's interesting here is the first seven weeks this ruler comes up and decrees the temple to be restored. Mm-hmm. And that same ruler, Cyrus, is prophesied about in Isaiah mm-hmm. to be the one who will bring God's people back. And he's into called the land. an anointed one there, yes, right? A and Messiah. Called, and he's called an anointed one here there as well. You go. And then what's interesting, the 62 weeks, we have actually heard the number 62 already in the book of Daniel. It's Darius's age itself. It's Darius's age when he takes the throne of Babylon. Right. So it'd be interesting to think, okay, so Cyrus. Seven. Seven. Darius, 62. Mm-hmm. And then after that time, the people of the prince who is to come will destroy Jerusalem and the temple and desolations will be decreed mm-hmm. and a desolator will come and it'll put an end to sacrifices and offerings. Right. So basically we're getting a, we're getting a preview of the coming history, which is basically, um, I know you're, I know you're in exile right now. I know mm-hmm. the temple is laid to waste, but Cyrus is going to be risen up mm-hmm. and he's going to send people back into, uh, Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. This while happens happening while Darius, while is, on Darius the throne. is on the throne. That happens in Ezra and Nehemiah. Yep. You can go read that story. Yes. And these same names are mentioned. So this happens. But then after that, the kingdom of Greece will rise up. That's right. And during the reign, the empire of Greece, the little horn, the little horn will rise up and he's going to desolate the temple. Mm-hmm. What is that talking about? Right. Well, we, we know this happened in history, so I don't know how clear that would have been to Daniel. Right. I mean, this is, would have been hundreds of years yes. after having received this. Right. So he only has an impression of what this is going to look like. All he knows is, okay, the temple's going to get rebuilt, but then it's going mm-hmm. to be desecrated. Yes. And we know this happened when? We know this happened, a version of this happened, uh-huh. during the reign of a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. Great Greek name. Great, great, great <laughs> Greek classic name. Greek name. He was a really powerful general military force, and he conquers a ton mm-hmm. of Mesopotamia. 
And once he gets through Israel, he uh, sets up his own fortress yep. in Israel called Acre. Mm. He um, stops all the sacrifices mm-hmm. in Israel for a time. He then builds a new altar of Zeus inside Israel's temple and... Uh, I think it was called Baal Shemem. Yeah, it's there, the Grecian version of... Uh, yeah, the Syrian the version. The Syrian, Syrian version. of that. And then he offered pigs in the right in the Jewish temple which to is Zeus. the ultimate is, desecration. Because they're not kosher. They're right. unclean. And he raises Israel to the ground. Right. It would, After it, would it had, be, had been yeah, rebuilt. It would be something like serving tarantulas and scorpions for the lord's supper or something like you know I, i'm trying <laughs> yeah, to think yeah, like, yeah. like <laughs> it's just right it's, it's so and it's so much more offensive even than that it's just it's so offensive it's a big deal it's a big deal and then what's interesting is if you read daniel 11 you hear the same prophecy given again but with all these unnamed kings and kingdoms yep um, i think we will talk about that in a future podcast episode yes. but he says it all again in Daniel 11. Let me just read a part of it. Okay. Daniel eleven thirty one, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall, shall set up the abomination that makes desolate and he will seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God will stand firm and take action and the wise among the people of God may understand. And so what that's describing too is even the religious and political split that happened after Antiochus Epiphanes. There was a, a cadre of Jews who want, were for the Hellenization of Israel. Yeah, the Greekification. The Greekification of Israel and a whole bunch of Jews who resisted that temptation. Mm-hmm. They were considered the wise ones, the faithful ones. Right, and this happened. And this all happened. Yeah. Uh, you have the, 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 the Hellenistic Jews became the Sadducees. And then, and then you had the Essene community. Maybe those are the wise ones. Maybe it's the Pharisees. You know, maybe people it's the who zealots. are trying to hold on to the yeah. biblical maybe law. Maybe it's the people at the beginning of Luke who were waiting for the day of the Lord. You know, right? You had people who did not sell out. So, all this to yeah. say that Daniel is being given a glimpse of human history leading up to the time of Jesus, and really on the heels of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know that was on the lot. That was it's, this is who feels like such a specific mm. history that I'm almost uncomfortable with it. Mm. Right? It's like I revelation I get craziness until the end of time. You know, <laughs> like it's crazy out there. This seems so specific as mm. to be almost unprecedented within the Bible. Does that make sense? Like it feels unprecedented. I, so, yeah, I think I, I think I get that. Let me let me ask you what you mean by that because I think what you're talking about is like. I think we we kind of grew up uh, assuming that this was all like how crazy all the languages and all the beasts and yeah. how obscure everything is. It must be still in the future, right? And, and it I must think, and it must be crazy. Yeah, and I think even like my understanding of like the Antichrist, this mm-hmm. figure at the end of time, comes from a lot of these images in the Book of Daniel. Right, like he does the abomination. Yeah, that, or even like the yeah. ultimate apocalypse. This feels like it's describing all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's surprising to me that it feels so earthly. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, and this politician will come and overtake that politician, mm. and this politician will put a pig on the altar, and that'll divide the Jewish people among the Sadducees and the Pharisees, <laughs> and then Jesus will come. And I think one thing that's happening here is one of the points that Isaiah himself makes is that um, God 
speaks through Isaiah to say that he will make known what is about to come to pass through the prophet Isaiah. Okay. In short, he's going to tell the future right. through Isaiah. Why? Well, God says through Isaiah, to show you that I'm in charge. Hmm. And isn't that what's on the line in apocalyptic hmm. literature? And right. isn't that what's on the line in Daniel itself? Yeah. Is, who is God? Yeah. Who is God of gods? Is it Nebuchadnezzar? Is it Babylon's gods? Because uh, God's house is laying in ruins. How is God really in charge? Right. And he's like, I'm going to show you I'm in charge by showing you what's about to happen. I'm going to show you that I am the God of history. Mm-hmm. Boots on the ground, earthly, dirty right. history. And I get that message mm-hmm. as somebody benefiting from this hundreds of years after Daniel received We get to the look prophet. back and be like, oh, it was right. God, is the, God isn't just the God of Israel. He's the God of history. Mm-hmm. Daniel wouldn't necessarily have known this. He would have had to have faith that these things would come to pass as they'd been revealed. Yeah. And which is amazing. I mean, it's the same thing. Like we're told we have a privileged position. We're told that everybody else looked forward Mm -hmm. of something. at something they would never see. And that they died before they saw you go read Hebrews 11. It's going to tell you that in faith, they looked forward and they died in that faith. And so, like, Daniel, same thing. He was looking forward to something. We even mm-hmm. said, like, whenever he was praying toward the temple, you yeah. know, during Darius's decree, that he was looking forward to a time when it would be rebuilt. If I'm Daniel then, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, God, I guess you've got history figured out. Yeah, you've got the plan. I don't have proof that that will actually happen yet, but mm-hmm. I trust you, mm-hmm. okay? I guess it goes back to what we said, like, one of the perp- you said it like the purpose of apocalyptic literature in general is who's the God above all the gods right and who's the God above all the nations it's clearly this God mm. according to the prophecies that he's giving Daniel but also I think in both the idea of 70 weeks mm-hmm. and 2300 days is there's this really clear announcement that there is a specific time of deliverance right you have these loose beastly images where oh you've got a ram who's running north south east and west he's going crazy then you got a goat who just keeps on growing yeah and you know you've got all this stuff but at some point there's a number on it right and those days are numbered yeah that, that feels like the most important if i'm daniel and don't know if history is going to play out i trust god will work uh-huh. out history but i don't have that proof yet like right. i have it right all i've got is really that definitive number right 70 weeks. At some time, the clock will run out on these empires. Yeah. At some time, temple worship will be restored, and the abomination which causes desolation will be done away with. Right. Yes. So I'm like, oh, okay. It's not forever. Yeah. Because I think if you're an exilic Jew who has lost their temple, an easy question is, is this forever? Right. Is this forever now? Yeah. And the fixed number says no. No, it's not. Yeah. There will be empire after empire after empire after this. And that's, I mean, Daniel even says his, mm-hmm. flesh, his face goes pale and he's like, this is too much. This is too much. I can't wait that long. Right. But God's people won't fail. There is a decreed time of the end where mm-hmm. God's people will be raised back up again. That's right. That's the hope of Daniel vision and yes. Daniel 8 and the end of Daniel 9. Yeah. And I think, and I want to keep talking about numbers, but real quick, I was just thinking about comparing comparative genres of yeah. how Hebraic apocalyptic literature is riffing on Mesopotamian apocalyptic yeah. literature is that if the majority of Mesopotamian apocalyptic literature is recounting past history uh-huh. through current prophecy yeah. and saying, oh, the battle was like the uh-huh. beast that rose out of the sea and everything like that. 
And so therefore we prove that the Babylonian God is God of gods. Mm -hmm. But then the Hebrews God says, oh, okay, yeah, you can describe past events. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's really nice to be able to claim that you won after you've won. Good for you. Mm -hmm. You know what I can do? I can look at beastly empires, know Mm -hmm. they'll rise up, and know that I will still win at the end. Like, what a huge move of God to say, I don't have to have won the battle in the past to brag about it. I know I'm going to win in the future, and I fixed the day. Like, what a shocking riff on apocalyptic literature to claim not past victories, but but future certainties. Yeah. Yeah. And it also makes me a little less, I care a little bit less about the details of the dream, the vision. Mm, why? Like it's a great encouragement to me now mm. that I can look back and like, oh, God predicted Persia and Media and Greece right. and Rome and the wow. Maccabean revolt. Uh, wow, how faith building. God how speaks, fa- he's right, people can listen. Yeah. Wow, this is cool. Yeah. Daniel knew none of that. Right. All he knew was a day was coming. Yeah. Where God would come. And I was like, Oh, so if the interpretation ends up being different than that, Daniel would have known. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like all he has is the confidence of a day. And the book of Daniel is famously difficult to interpret. Mm -hmm. What we've just described as the period between Persia and Rome, scholars debate. Other people say this is about the end of time into a future Antichrist. Some people say it's about different kings. Some, you know, like in this chronology and people debate this thing. Right. The fact that the numbers are there. Right. Tell me something more important than the details of the kings and the visions and who moves when. Right. right. Or even what the number indicates ultimately. Yeah. The fact that the number exists at all. The yes. fact that the time of the empires is numbered at all right. is more important than what the number is. Yes. Now, we're not saying what the number is is unimportant. It's not. No. Or point. even that the fact that history plays out the way that no. is described here. Those what... are both marvelous things. Right. We're saying that there is something kind of cooler happening here. That is the fact that, oh, the evil empire's days are numbered. Yeah. Now, we can talk about what the numbers are and what they mean, but let's not get lost in the weeds. Yeah. Let's remember that there's good news right there in the fact that there is a number at all. Right. And then that means now me, as a man who does not know when Jesus will return, right, is in the same position as Daniel. Mm-hmm. I could get a new book of Daniel mm-hmm. describing all the future conflicts until... Jesus comes back and it starts naming kingdoms and nations I've never heard of before. I'll be like, well, that's cool. But what would really be powerful for me is like, no, but after 70 weeks, after 2,300 days, after a time, times and half a time, Mm -hmm. it will end. Right. The spiritual powers, the empires will fall. A new kingdom will reign and I will be with my people once again. Yeah. That's like good. Yeah. The good news is God has fixed a day for the defeat of, of evil and the coming of his kingdom. Yes. That's just good news. Yeah. Is that it, that this cycle of beastly empires attacking each other's horns and destroying God's people and letting God's people build back up only to tear them down again. This evil cycle is going to end. Yeah. That's really good news because a lot of times especially especially on this side of history, on this side of Daniel, mm-hmm. looking back it's like cool that ended. But it's still going on. More beasts have risen up out of the chaotic waters. Mm -hmm. More kingdoms have been toppled down. More saints of the holy ones have been martyred. Is this ever going to end? And it's really good news to know that the days are numbered. The days are numbered.
okay then, speaking of numbers, what on earth do the numbers mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've got... The million dollar question, or the million dollar bestseller question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody has an opinion about yes. what the numbers mean. Yeah. 2300 and Daniel 8, and seemingly the same period described... Described by the 70 weeks. By 70 weeks, or 77s. Mm-hmm. So people say 490 years uh, often. Right. So h- how... Do, how do we understand those vastly different numbers to what I think refer mm-hmm. to the same event? Right. And then not even counting the numbers will come too soon, like right. 1,290, uh, 1,335, right. a time times and half a time. Like we, yeah. there's more numbers to come in the book of Daniel. Yeah. What are the numbers getting at? Yeah. Well, I think one thing that we need to remember, which you've been really good at reminding me of off air is Daniel has already taught us how to approach mysteries like this. The book of Daniel itself as literature that we walk through Mm -hmm. has already prepared us for moments where we scratch our head and go, what on earth does 2300 mean? Yeah. Is that a literal 2300 days until until Antiochus Epiphany comes? Is that a spiritual 2300 days? Or is it half that because an evening and morning (laughs) are actually one day. It's it's half that number, so it's 1,150. Right. It's not, I think the, the first step, in this process is to remember like the story from Daniel five, which was the mene, mene, tekel and parson. Mm-hmm. Right. And no one knew what it meant. But the point is God did write on the wall mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was about numbers. It was about, yeah, about something being numbered, weighed, found wanting and judged. Right. And so the, 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 the fact was that eventually a man of God was raised up who gave such a blatantly clear and obviously true explanation of what mm-hmm. mene mene tekel and parson meant that everyone like hit themselves on the head and was like oh of course that's what it means yeah. it's so obvious now with retrospect that right. at some point we might have to be okay with mene mene tekel and parson like that being our 2300 mm-hmm. like we might have to be okay with maybe not knowing perfectly what the 2300 was and maybe we can now because we're on this side of history i don't know right but the point at least for daniel's age was like there's new writing on the wall and you might not know until a future revelation mm-hmm. what that meant. And then you'll hit yourself on the head and be like, now I see how 2,370 weeks go together. That makes yeah. total sense. Mm-hmm. But the the point wasn't to unravel the Da Vinci Code and yeah. do some national treasure thing where you're right. following the, the plot to figure out yeah. the hidden code. It's meant to, I think, get at what we're talking about here, which is number one, the evil kingdom's days are numbered. And number two that uh, God has set that time, and so you can trust him in it. Mm-hmm. That the writing is on the wall. Do yeah. you trust the one who's done it? Will you humble yourself under that yeah. or not? And I think just to go along with this idea of like, well, there's a Belshazzar principle at work. Right. Where it's like we have a mess of numbers, mm-hmm. just like there's a mess of letters on the wall of Belshazzar's <sighs> temple. Right. And it took an interpreter, a mm-hmm. son of man, a man in whom the spirit of the gods dwelt, mm. To finally come and explain them so clearly that the king who was just prophesied to die by those words accepted the fate of the words. Right. So it's like, I have, in all my study of this, dozens of hours at this point, yeah. I have not found a synchronization between the 2300, mm-hmm. the 70 weeks, the 1335, right. the time, times, and half a time. That makes you just go, oh, it's so obvious. It's so obvious. And like part of me is just like, maybe one day it will. Yeah. And like I've gotten the point of Daniel. Yeah. Daniel as a book is the meaning, the hope, 
the fact that God is in control over the pantheon of gods, that God controls history, that he is coming on a determined day, all of that's clear to me. Yeah. All the details are less clear, mm-hmm. but one day there will be someone who comes and tells me, and I'll, I'll facepalm myself. Like, remember that podcast we recorded? Like, oh, it's we were, so clear now. We were we dead were t- wrong. We were dead wrong. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, there, and therein lies the point, right? Yeah. Why? We asked the question, why, why is it good news that God would use apocalyptic literature? Why is it good news that God would use obscure numbers? And I think it's because, let's go back to the Belshazzar principle, the Belshazzar yeah. story in Daniel 5. What should Belshazzar's reaction have been to mm. the writing on the wall? Humility. Humility. What does it mean? I don't know, but there's clearly a higher power at work that mm. I need to submit to. Mm-hmm. We should be humbled by 2300 mm-hmm. and go, I don't know, but mm-hmm. God knows. And that's so good that God knows and I don't mm-hmm. and that he's in charge and I'm not. Like the number 2300 could prove the point that he's God and I'm not. Yeah, He knows and I don't. And that's okay. And that's actually the point is to, is to like fall down on the ground with Daniel and be like, I don't understand Gabriel. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's the point is to fall down with Daniel and just not get it. And I think we're not comfortable with that. Yeah. We, I we, want an- I want better answers. Right. And it's like, man, the best answer you could get is to humble yourself before the Lord. <laughs> like, right. Like, what other, what more important point could Daniel be making? And if I'm going to spend my God? life doing one of two things. <laughs> Either unraveling the mystery of how 2300 and 13 work together or spending those hours humbling myself. I think they'd be better spent. (laughs) They'd be better spent. And I'm like, you know, I could be wrong. Somebody else could be right. Right. And I'll thank God on the last day. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I want. At least I'll have spent my years humbling myself under the God who knew what 2300 meant when I didn't. Right. And that's the point. Yeah. I think that's what we want to get at. Okay, so the last big thread that we've opened that we haven't got to pull entirely is the abomination, the desolation. Yeah. All of this stuff, I think, is pointing to one thing. And Antiochus Epiphany? Well, the or no, no less, less historical and more yeah. conceptual. Okay. And I think it all pulls on, if you go back to the very introduction of the podcast on Daniel and chapter yeah. one, is there's this theme and this latent hope around when will the temple be rebuilt? Because the temple's right. been destroyed. Daniel 1, temple gone. Yeah. And now Daniel's Daniel asking. Daniel 6, he prays towards the desolated temple. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, and, and this holy man inside of this vision asks, when's it going to be over? When are the sacrifices and the offerings and the incense going to come back to the temple? When is this desolation going to be over? And that is what's on the line right now. Mm. And I think what's really cool is we we start to get some answers and Daniel doesn't get to see the full picture. He gets 2,300. He gets 70 weeks. He gets yeah. the obscure answer. We get the really clear answer from Jesus. Right, because basically you're, what you're saying is sacrifices stop for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Then the temple's rebuilt. But that's kind of all the information we get. That's right. And, and it seems like there might even be another abomination on the horizon on the horizon which we we, we read earlier in yeah 11. yeah and then what so what you're saying is this new temple this is jesus or are you saying i'm saying that the fate of the temple at the end of daniel seems to be somewhat undecided mm-hmm. and that what's on the line for daniel is when will the sacrifices of the temple be restored so that the world doesn't come to an end <laughs> Mm-hmm. And he's so concerned, rightfully so, 
about the rebuilding of the temple, the reconstituting of its worship, um, and wants to know, like, are we ever going to get to go home? Are we ever going to be able to dwell with God again? Right. Is the universe ever going to start spinning again inside the cosmic temple? And um, those questions don't get answered in Daniel. Mm-hmm. They get sealed up at the end. And we'll talk about that more later on another podcast. But for now, I think it's interesting to note that all of this language gets hyper pulled on by Jesus himself in what's known as the Olivet Discourse. Okay. And this is that famous and controversial passage of scripture where Jesus talks about what we might call the end of time. He talks about the coming of the Son of Man. Yeah, he quotes from Daniel all over the place. All over the place. In this place. And he makes mention of the desol- the, ab- he, the abomination that causes desolation. Yeah. So, so far we've talked about the abomination of desolation as a fixed historical fact in past time. Right, when, when Grecian Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed a pig. And so now we have Jesus talking about it again, mm-hmm. talking about a future time. Yep. So what that makes me automatically wonder is like, well, aren't the other interpretations of Daniel correct then? That Daniel isn't about Greece, but it's actually about a future day coming when a big antichrist will come and do the bad thing right. all at once. Like that's like, that's the other option on the table uh, for the yeah. book of Daniel. Right. So isn't Jesus repeating that then? Isn't he saying like, Oh look, there's a future desolation. Uh-huh. Oh, if I put the desolation on Antiochus, I don't agree with Jesus. So that can't uh, be right. 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 No. Uh, yeah. I think that's really a really good observation. And I think what Jesus is doing is he is being an expert in apocalyptic literature. Okay. He is a genius. <laughs> and yeah. he, is, he is, he is showing and, and, and doing apocalyptic literature so well because apocalyptic literature stacks meaning on top of events and says that events and their um, pictures and metaphors all repeat themselves and keep on right. turning over and over again. And he's like, do you remember what happened with the abomination that caused desolation? You guys know. The you end of the know. world that was prophesied in Daniel. That happened. Yeah. Well, you guys have rebuilt from that. Right. right? There's a new temple now. Mm-hmm. He was like he's standing in front of it when he's making these prophecies in Matthew mm-hmm. and in Mark. Yeah, uh, yeah, Matthew 24, Jesus left the temple and was walking right. his way. There it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's right there. So we've moved on and now there's a new temple that sacrifices are going mm-hmm. and the something interesting happens the the disciples of Jesus they're marveling at the temple and they're oogling and ogling over it and they're like, "Oh, the stones are so pretty. We love them." And then Jesus stops and says, oh, yeah, well, not one stone's going to be left upon another, and it's like, going to all fall down. It's like, whoa, okay. downer. And then they ask Jesus, when is that going to happen, and what, what will be the signs? And, uh, interesting language choice. What will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? Same words used in Daniel That's to right. describe Greece and the first desolation right. of the temple. They understand that when Jesus says the temple's going to be destroyed, they understand that he is talking about a repeat of the themes that Daniel set up. Hmm. That another they know historical event. Another historical event that's going to be like the end of time because the temple is going to be destroyed and it's going to be accompanied by what they're calling the coming of the Son of Man. Right. Okay. So that's okay. what's on the line when Jesus talks about all of these crazy apocalyptic images of the moon turning to blood and the sun being darkened and the stars falling from the sky and all these things that have confounded biblical exegetes for centuries and continue to confound us today. Uh, But we have to understand what's on the line here. Jesus is talking about when is the temple going to be destroyed? And what's interesting, verse 36 of Matthew 24, uh, 
But about that day or hour, no one knows. Mm -hmm. The numbers are confusing. Not even the angels in heaven. And at the very end of the book of Daniel, the angels ask when this is going to happen. When we get that number 2300, it's because Mm. an angel asks Mm. for the number of days. Right. Um, Not even the son knows, but only the God who lives in heaven. Only the father. Only the God of gods. Yeah. So interesting. Just like all those saying, I'm, I'm just hearing a ton of Daniel. A ton of Daniel. In Matthew 24. That's right. And I think that's because Jesus is talking about the completion of that cycle. That Daniel's all about when is the temple going to be restored? When is the final temple going to come where the sacrifices will burn and the incense will go up and we will be with God forever and our place with mm-hmm. him will be secure? Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, in a sense, two very seemingly contradictory things. Mm-hmm. He's saying, well, it's the temple's going to be destroyed again. Yeah. But in that destruction of the temple is going to come the hope of Daniel, hmm. which is weird. Because when he says, I'm going to tear down this, sto- this temple, and then three days later, I'm going to build it back up again. Right. He's saying the temple that Daniel hoped would be rebuilt and would symbolize the reunion of God, God and man mm-hmm. in the place of God in Israel and Jerusalem. That, isn't this one? Isn't this one? It's the one inside me. Right. Jesus constantly says that he's the temple. Um, and, and so what Daniel was looking forward to, you know, and what we even hinted at in the Daniel six podcast, whenever he was looking and praying toward the desolated temple, right. in a sense, he was praying toward Jesus, yeah, this anointed son of man who would come and draw all nations to himself. And so Jesus is saying in a time, you don't know the end of the world is coming and I am going to come through my sovereign control of the world, the Son of Man is going to come and destroy the temple. Riding on the clouds. <laughs> right. Yeah. This happened yeah. in 70, the year 70 AD. This happened. Right. Uh, the, yeah. Just like Antiochus Epiphanes, yep. another desolation of the temple occurred in AD 70. You're right. right. Under yeah, Emperor the, Titus. Yeah. And it gets desolated and it's not been rebuilt since. Mm. I mean, that's the that's the amazing thing. Mm-hmm. And like the heartbreaking thing for the Jewish nation is that it's not it's still not been rebuilt they are still outside the wailing wall waiting for it to be rebuilt. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is saying, that's not the final temple. The final temple that Mm -hmm. offers the final perpetual sacrifice that offers the place where God and man can be together forever, where you're free from exile and you can finally come home and you can be with God is not in a building where Mm -hmm. animals are sacrificed. It's in me. I am the final temple. Why? Because I am the one who was sacrificed. I am the one who is the final sacrifice, the final incense, the final offering to God. You don't have to continually do it anymore. I've put an end to the unceasing operation of the temple that constantly has to atone and reatone for sins. I've done it once and for all, and now I reign forever above all principalities and princes, mm. and I am the final temple. Why is the idea that the temple won't be rebuilt? but be resurrected. But you know, like why is the temple in a person good news for a man in exile? Oh, you, you've named a lot of great reasons. Like the, te- the, 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 the ceaseless sacrifices are over one sacrifice final, final for all. Amazing. Mm-hmm. But for a man in exile who just wants to go back home mm. to be with his people, to be with God in his place again, why is like the fact that the temple isn't the place anymore, but mm-hmm. it's a, a human, one like a son of man. Right. Why is that so important? Well, like, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, think about the history of Israel. Think about 
the cycle of evil empires that Daniel depicts and think about how over and over again, how stacked these images are in Daniel, that no matter how many times the temple gets rebuilt, it seems to be threatened again by another desolation. Mm-hmm. As long as the temple is geopolitical <laughs> and is made of brick and stone, mm-hmm. it's going to be under threat. It can't be eternal. Right. It can't be safe. But when it's in Jesus, who is resurrected high above all principalities, like it's safe, it's secure, it can't be threatened by any earthly empire. And beyond that, it can come and dwell with you. Because Jesus is now in us. Right. And he says that we as Christians embodied by his spirit are now built brick by brick together. And we now as the church form a new temple. Hmm. We are now the locus of God. We are where God dwells. God dwells with and in and among us. Hmm. And so that's really good news for somebody in exile who's like, I can't get to the temple because it doesn't exist. And Jesus says, no, but I will build my temple among you. Mm. I'm with you. Yeah. And that's such good news. I've written you, I've written myself into your story where you are. Yeah. That's just such good news. Well, then let me try to make this make sense for me personally. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm, my mind feels caught up in dreamland, vision land exile 2000 years ago 400 years of history squeezed down into four beasts i'm my mind is everywhere yeah but i want to land on the good news of a temple in me Mm. for a man in exile yeah for a person a human out of sorts with the world around him um i'm not home i want to be i want to be with the lord right yeah am exhausted by the brokenness I, I see. I'm tired of working for the man. You know, like yeah. for being a cog in the machine of Babylon. Don't you wish you could just fly to Israel and God was actually living in a building. You could go be under his theophanic, theocratic rule and just be like, hey, God, I'm here. Right. Make You're th- here on earth. Make things right again. Yeah. Make, make things the way they were supposed Wouldn't to be. Wouldn't that be great if you could actually go and live in a country here on earth where God dwelt and ruled perfectly? Yeah. That would be really nice. But yeah. we're in exile. He doesn't, he's not doing that right now physically. Right. Except through his people. Yeah. And I just find myself frequently weeping over the fact that that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. And that I have to wait so long for it or yeah. seemingly long. There's a day. Right. 2300 days, 70 weeks. Yeah. But it's so far away. Yeah. And the hope of a temple in me and a temple in the people of God is that for those moments when I'm crushed by the weight of the beasts, Mm -hmm. when I'm crushed by the cogs of Babylon, is that I can look out among my brothers and sisters in Christ and find a glimpse of the kingdom of God here and now. Mm -hmm. I can find a moment of the presence of God, the image of God and the person mm. across from me that I can look inside of me and know that the spirit of God that revealed the mysteries that encouraged Daniel and Babylon are also available to me. Like, is that like, is this getting near what the hope of an internal temple yeah. is for a, a person in exile? <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, th- I think so. And there's something so m- mystical. Yeah to it too that we have to like somehow step 
back out of the enlightenment and the mm-hmm. scientific age and take Jesus at his word in the, at the end of John, where he's mm-hmm. talking to his disciples before going to the cross. And he's like, I'm going to come and I'm going to make my home in you. And the Holy Spirit's going to be there and God's going to be there. And we're going to live together here on planet earth inside of you. We, we cannot possibly expand that language far enough to just like to do justice for the mystery and the magnitude of what Jesus is talking about there. He's saying like there once, there once was a time that inside the tabernacle, inside the temple, the Shekinah, the illuminating, if you saw it in the wrong context, you would die kind of glory (laughs) lived, right? Like dwelt and was enthroned God. You could be like, you could, you could go see him, you know, like that was real on earth. And he's like, that is like going to come in to you and be with you and live in you. And there's something that we've suppressed. I suppress, I grieve the Holy spirit, you know, when I just diminish what that means and Mm -hmm. that I am his home and that he delights to dwell with me and that there's a reality to that. Um, but that's like the, some of the best news of the gospel is that, Behold, I'm with you always, even to the what? End of the age. <laughs> end of time, yeah. the end of the age. Um, that we're not alone, that he does live with us. But then I think there's another side to it, too, where we are invited like to be Daniel in a way we don't want to be. Because you, I think, earlier in the podcast, did a really good job of picturing Daniel as kind of this sad, tragic figure. Yeah. Who, great, I know that there's a rough sketch of some kingdoms coming down and I'm glad that their fixed end is coming, but I'm not going to see the end of it, but I know that their end will come and that there will be an eternal kingdom set up that, that little uncut stone that will grow into a mountain. Yeah. And I will be in that kingdom. Um, and at some point revelation to us, which pulls on all the same language Mm -hmm. is asking us to step into the same thing. It again, revelation shows a cycle of empires a lot of which is talking about leading up to the st- destruction of the temple in 70 AD. But then there's this picture at the end, which is God coming and making his temple here on earth and actually living with us yeah. again. And we can see him face to face and he'll wipe away our tears and take away disease and there'll be no threat and we'll live with him. And that hope, Paul says in Romans 8, saves us. Yeah. Like saves, pulls us out of that dark, crushed under empire feeling. And it's not necessarily, I don't want to, I'm trying not to diminish the present reality of the Holy Spirit. Right. That is such good news. And I think we don't do justice to it. But there's this future hope in the coming of Jesus to live with us and establish his eternal dynasty. And that hope can save us even from the grip and the crushing of Babylon even if nothing changes in our current situation, just that we know that there is a time, a time and half a time. And then Jesus will come. A day has been set. Even if no one knows what it is, he's coming. And it's good news. Yeah, that is good news. I'd be pushing the limits of my ability to understand the book of (laughs) Daniel's prophecies by continuing to delve deeper into the mysteries of Daniel eight and nine. There's more out there. Like, I hope we've done a decent job of modeling the open-handedness with some of these interpretations. Like, we feel pretty convinced of what we're saying, but there's some deep mysteries here. There's good scholars that disagree with us. Yep. At the end of the day, we want to be humbled by what we don't know. Right. Rather than proud in what we think we know. 
Jesus is coming back. That's the great news. On a day. On a day. It's fixed. He will and come. we're going to look back and go, oh, of course that's when he's coming. <laughs> and so go study, delve into the mysteries, <laughs> see Jesus in the numbers if you can get there. <laughs> and we'll see you next time then in Daniel chapter 9, I believe. Yeah, we're going to kind of loop back. We jumped to the end of 9, but we need to loop back because there's this whole thing about Daniel starts reading Jeremiah. Which is just yes. cool when two books of the Bible interact with each other that way. Yeah. And it's funny. They're to, cool if you're us. Yeah. That's cool. Because, I mean, not, not everybody thinks no. that's cool, but I think I it's think cool. I think it's cool to think of Daniel <laughs> picking up the scroll of Jeremiah. Yeah. It's like, oh, Daniel read the Bible. Like, that's <laughs> right. Cool. Right. And, like, and then he, like, put it into practice. Yeah. It's really interesting. So, so we'll talk about that. I'm excited to talk about that. So, we'll, yeah, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.